Okay, good morning, Marin. Hey, Nathan, how you doing? I'm really great. I'm really great. I'm glad we're talking about this today because you and I have been kind of beating this topic around for some time. The scenario is I am a pregnant woman and I'm going to go out into the marketplace to find myself a midwife to care for me in my pregnancy and to care for me, you know, my, my baby and, and, and my partner and I want the whole package. So I got into the marketplace and I find that there's somebody who calls themselves a midwife and there's somebody who calls themselves a birth keeper and heck, there's even an OBGYN locally. <laughs> and um, I think sometimes these terms are used somewhat in interchangeably, but I think more importantly, you never really know what you're going to get. So you are a professional trainer of midwives too. And so I was, I'm really, really curious about what your take is on this. You know, when, I think part of the question is, when does a person, when can a person call themselves a midwife and what does that term even mean? I think that's like a, that's this, this jump off point. So let's start there. Yeah, that's a really bunch of great questions. Great bunch. Um, there's so many perspectives, you know, I think as somebody that has a midwifery school, we definitely have learned over the years to have some boundaries around what that means to us. And we're assuming that the students that are in our school that want to be there care, you know, to a certain extent about the boundaries that have been set. So to us in that context, uh, a midwife is not necessarily a medical provider because we're not being trained in medicine. Uh, normal birth is the domain of midwives, at least home birth midwives. But yet there is a need for training, uh, not just learning in your head or, you know, reading birth stories or watching videos, but an actual hands-on piece where somebody learns and gets experience as an apprentice usually. So we're really into the apprentice model. Margot and I were both trained that way. And that's one version. Hmm. Um, but again, like you're saying, if a pregnant woman comes, does she even know the different types of midwives? Does she know that some are apprentice trained and some are more medically trained? Uh, they may have worked in a hospital or whatever. So how does this one word midwife come to represent so many different flavors mm -hmm. of someone? I think that's essentially the problem. And it's something I've spent so many hours talking about on podcasts and even in person. I'm always struggling a little bit to explain, you know, what I do and, and why I think it's unique. Uh, not that that person has to want it, but just so people can figure out what it is they resonate with. Right. Uh, because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. I think we, we say that a lot. Um, so if you're looking for a midwife, that's a really, really broad term these days. And I think I'm kind of at the point of wanting to rethink some of the vocabulary, which maybe is the next phase of our discussion. So I'm not quite sure how far this word is getting us. It's causing a lot of confusion. Yeah. Yeah. And personally, I mean, I'm an OBGYN, right? So I've got this skill set and I've practiced it and I've practiced it and I've practiced it. But I've practiced doing things that are probably very different from the way you've done them. So if you go to an OBGYN and you expect midwifery care, and granted, I am very much more a midwife than an OBGYN. Everybody knows that. And that adds to the confusion in a great right. way. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. When you 
so but but to draw the the contrast and perhaps some comparison to the for the for the sake of conversation if you go to a physician you're going to get a certain package of things right like the physician in the clinic at the local hospital in the big OBGYN practice is going to provide you with a set of things and that's going to include more frequent ultrasounds more frequent you know whatever vital sign checks more frequent urine analysis there's more frequent lab work they're going to do more there's going to be more stuff and you don't so you don't go to a physician and say hey i'm not interested in doing any ultrasounds, any blood work, any urine studies, they're going to think, why didn't you go to a midwife? Now, that's not to say that midwives don't do those things, right? Right. right. But but therein lies the, the issue, right? If you go to a doctor, on the other hand, and you say, hey, sorry, if you go to a midwife and you say, hey, I'd like a, an ultrasound every four weeks, I want to make sure I get a 3D ultrasound because I want to see the shape of the baby and I want to make a uh, collage out of it. Um, I'd also like for you to um, strip my membranes at this time. And you're, you're, you know, you have all these, this, your, your plan is very much more a high intervention plan. Many midwives might say, are you sure that you, that I'm the right person for you? Because that's not really the way that my practice works. So this is where that resonance conversation comes in, you know, in the clinic at the OBGYN office, you're sitting on this crinkly paper. You're probably not wearing pants most of the time, and it's just like, I, this isn't for me. But then you you learn about a local midwife who does things very differently, and that resonates with you. But but I think the problem therein lies for the consumer that if you say you're going to go to a midwife, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get. When you go say you're going to go to an OBGYN, you probably know what you're going to get because right. this the medical system kind of has a way of doing things, including how your labor is managed, how your they're going to recommend induction, perhaps, you know, at 40 or 41 weeks. And that's not necessarily in line with the care of, of most midwives. But then what is the care of midwives? Like, what do midwives do, Marin? That's a rhetorical question, I think. <laughs> well, I'm imagining the opposite scenario of what you described. You described mm -hmm. a woman coming and wanting intervention and a midwife being surprised. And what I hear more commonly is the opposite women going to a midwife because they think she won't strip her membranes uh, or she won't encourage even a natural induction or whatever the case may be and she's the one surprised because she thought midwives were quote unquote right. natural right. and you know there is a definite facet of midwifery that is medically trained. And I don't, I'm not saying that with judgment, there just is, that is just the way right. the world has come to be, uh, whether it's nurse midwifery, but not even just that. And that's when I think it really gets confusing because maybe with a nurse, you have a little heads up. Oh, okay. They're overseen by an OB. I can see why blah, blah, blah. Um, but what about that home birth midwife? Mm. You don't think that that's going to be the case. And then it is. And so mm. your definition of midwife is really confronted there. And sometimes it's at the last minute or at a really awkward time. Um, and you're really wondering how this person is practicing midwifery. But yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, and so is the person on the other end of the spectrum that wants to call themselves a midwife and maybe doesn't have any training at all, but feels in their heart there is a they are midwives. Uh, and they're offering themselves to the community that way or whatever. So we have like the pendulum just swinging from one extreme to the other. And 
yeah, we're kind of back at the beginning, which is how does a person know what version they're going to get? Um, I don't know that they do know unless they're going to ask really great questions and figure out what they want. And I think that takes a lot of time and introspection and research to, to be able to ask the questions rather than like try to predict the answers. Yeah. And in our society, everything now needs to certification, right? Right. You need to be certified to be a neurosurgeon, probably for good reason, because that's some really heavy stuff. You need to make sure you've done your due diligence to get to a point where you can safely do surgery inside a person's brain or spinal canal or whatever. And on the other end of the spectrum, you also need a certification. You need to pay some sort of sort of certifying board in order to be a barber which I don't disagree with. I mean, necessarily, like it's good that you got training that I'm not going to go to you and just get a hack job and you're going to charge me 40 bucks for a haircut that like doesn't look anything remotely like what I wanted. But is that really the same as a neurosurgeon requiring a long apprenticeship in order to make sure that he or she knows what he's cutting into or whatever? Um, Where, you know, Midwifery also has this sort of certification process. You don't necessarily need to become a CPM. In fact, you could be historically have been a woman who just felt a calling to sit with women and to care for women. But when the emergency arises, you then have to turn to the person who's more experienced in the room in order to help you. That's the apprenticeship right there. The same goes for building houses or whatever. You can't just say, hey, I feel like a builder and you go and build somebody a house and it collapses on them and hurts them. So there's... So I think that we have this over um, abundance or, or over, uh, perhaps we, 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 we've given too much, um, we have too much appreciation for this need to be certified in some aspects of, of our society. But if there's a true emergency that emerges as a birthing woman or a partner to a birthing woman, I would love to know that the midwife has at least seen this as an apprentice before we've gotten to the point now where I might lose my wife or the baby or whatever else. I mean, and that's, that's part of informed consent. So if a barber, what didn't get certified, he might be walking down the street with a clipper and say, Hey, I'm trying to open a barber company. Can I cut your hair for 10 bucks? I, I might say, Hey, what, did you go to barber school? No, but my dad was a barber. I, I learned a lot. Um, I'm pretty confident that I can make you look good. If, if you're not happy with it, I'll give you your money back. Of course, in this case, we're not talking about life or death. Right, exactly. But but it, he would be transparent and say, I've cut 10 people's hair. He's like a six, 16-year-old. I've cut 10 people's hair and they were all pretty happy. So then I can make the decision, okay, now I know what your experience is. You have a father who who taught you the skill, uh, the skills, and now you're out practicing. Well, in the case of a barber, you're not going to run into an emergency where you then can have to look around for some relative expert in the room to save you, you know, in, in save the person you're, you're caring for. But at least this young kid who wants to be a barber is being transparent with me. Yeah. You know, so even though he didn't go to certification, whatever, like there's a lot of people that cut hair, like, especially right. men's hair like mine, like that's fine. Cut my hair. It'll be save me money. It'd save me 20 bucks. Um, but there's that transparency. So there's something there like, yes, the certification is important. Yes. Even the neurosurgeon, yes, your certification is important. But if you haven't done neurosurgery for 20 years, even though you've been certified, I'm not so sure I want you cutting into my brain, you know? Yeah. And the same goes for a midwife. Like you've been through the, you've read the books, you've read Ina May's books, you've, you've hung out with Marin a bunch. 
I would still like to know what your experience level is so that I can make an informed decision about like having you at my birth. I guess right. that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, exactly. Transparency and asking good questions. I think there is something about the whole certification world that made people stop asking questions. Right. Because I right. think, you know, yes, that might mean skill. I mean, it does mean skill in a lot of cases, like you're saying, a neurosurgeon. Um, in the case of midwifery, like a CPM, and I am one, by the way, but whatever, uh, you know, what does it really mean? What does it mean past you took a test and you studied, right? Like there's not necessarily experience there to the degree that someone might want it. So even if someone has that certification, people still should be asking great questions. Because again, let's fast forward to that scenario from a few minutes ago. Uh, that same CPM is wanting to strip your membranes at 41 weeks. Right. You had no idea because you made some assumptions. So I think the responsibility is on both sides. It's on people to do their investigations, to ask good questions. And then like you're saying, the transparency on the other side of saying, hey, this is me. Um, this is how I was trained. This is how I was not trained. Here's what I've seen. Here's what I've learned. And just putting it out there for people and using whatever word you want. I am so over uh, people needing to use a certain word. I've just gotten tired of it. Yeah. So call yourself yeah. whatever you want, but please provide a very detailed explanation and an insight into what that role means to you. And I feel like I'm doing the same, you know, I've been a midwife for a long time and I'm always struggling in a sense to explain my own version, right? Like we all, all have our own version of how we work with people. And I'm really feeling the limits of this word right now for all yeah. these reasons. It's limited. Wait. The vocabulary is limited. Yeah. Yeah. And I've actually toyed with the idea. Eventually I'm going to do this. I'm going to become a CPM. If they're still around and all if that. Still, yeah, if that's still a thing. And uh, I've thought about this really hard. And it's like, what makes a midwife? You know, I like to use the word midwife even in how I practice. Like I, I, I uh, aspire to the midwifery model of care, which is very low intervention, blah, 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 blah. And I very much practice that way. But what about, um, so I go and I say, hey, I, you know, whatever, CPM board, whatever it's called. I'd like to take the test. And they're um, going to say, well, what do you mean you want to take the test? Oh, I, did you take a course or anything? Like, well, I'm an OBGYN. Oh, well, okay. You take the test and I take the test. Let's say I get like a whatever, whatever the passing score is. I get like 1% above that. And um, they're like, okay, great. You took the test. Clearly you've done the work. But they don't give me my CPM because I need to then have like whatever, 20 births or whatever, proctored births or 100 or whatever it is. So then they might say, okay, well, hey, you need to go and do the births. And I'm like, okay, I've done like a thousand births, no problem. So, so Marin, you give me a call every time you're going to a birth and I just go and like kind of hang out in the back. And it's like, oh, Nathan, was, a, was a, he attended a birth? He attended a birth. I wasn't the main person making decisions in the birth. And if there was an emergency, I'm not the one that's calling the shots. Um, so even if I then got the minimum requirement of proctored births, does that make me a CPM? Like if somebody came to me and said, hey, I want you to care for me because I really, I, I really love your podcast and I, I think you, you know, obviously you have great training. You went to residency and did all this medical school. Like you're, you're, you're an expert, whatever that even means. And you're a CPM. Like, God, you're the best of both worlds. I could say I'm a, CP, a CPM, but if you come to me and then I'm trying to 
do exams and strip your membranes without ever consenting you? Am I really practicing as a midwife? No, of course not. I'm, I'm, I have the little CPM thing after my name, but who cares? Because I'm not actually practicing like that. And there's a lot of CPMs who are very, very, and CNMs who are super heavy handed. Totally. Um, even some of our most respected home birth docs are very hands-on. So you don't know what you're getting, even if you are with the most respected home birth doc in the world. It's or or, or CPM for that matter. And and I just I just think it's I, I just think it's so critical for a birthing person, given how vulnerable that state is, for you as the potential keeper of the birth, which we didn't even talk about, a birth keeper. Right. If you're gonna be there holding space for her birth. It would be really, really nice if she knew what your experience level was and what your comfort level was. If you're just as good as anybody else, uh, you know, any Joe Schmo, then that's totally fine. My when when my wife and I were pregnant, we found a midwife that had a lot of experience, had great reputation, and and had been through the ringer. I mean, she was very, very transparent about it. Like, I've attended this many births, I've had this many transfers, I haven't had any major complications, but there's been some things that I've had to work through and. And, um, and I'd love to be your, your birth attendant. And so we had to make a decision based on her, the transparency there. But if she were to say, hey, listen, I am the, the prime time CPM of Louisville. Don't even listen to those bozos. Like they don't know much. I, I am the queen of midwifery here in Louisville. I would probably still need some further qualification. Like what, the, what does that even mean, right? Like I know Marin, she's in Berea. How do you compare to Marin's practice? Or this person's practice, or how about my own practice, you know? And, and so there's that fluid conversation, but there is a calling. I just don't know. I just don't know how we can emphasize the importance of being completely transparent with your skill set and also having humility to say, ugh, I'm not super comfortable with shoulder dystocia. And this seems like a big baby and a diabetic woman or whatever. She's going to have a home birth. Maybe I should have a backup midwife here with me because I am concerned about this. I mean, that takes humility, but it's also an important part of keeping people safe. You know, and I don't use the word safe very lightly. It's, um, it's a bit of a nebulous term itself, but, um, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I think my closing thought for now is that I agree with that. I think that's all true, but it's also, just the first layer and i mm. guess that's where i'm interested in expanding the vocabulary and the descriptions around more variety in midwifery because we can easily get so focused on right skill set and we're both agreed like that's important and again it's up to the i think the person the woman to figure out how important is that to me like you know, if someone's never handled a hemorrhage, like, do I care? Yeah. And there's going to be women that are like, I don't care because I'm not going to hemorrhage and that's not a thing or, you know, whatever. But I think there's so many cool conversations beyond that. And I think midwives in particular have so many other ways of showing up. And I guess that's where my interest has been, you know, in the spiritual sense, in the emotional support, um, that those things are just as important, if not more important than the physical training that we've been through but we're just kind of um reducing ourselves to i don't know maybe the way doctors talk about themselves because again you have the numbers you have the papers and so midwives have taken up this course of conversation whereas there's so much um you know there's many more deeper things to share and and ways to be resonant or not with clients that come your way 
So regardless of your experience, you might really be connected to somebody. They might really appreciate that you offer certain kind of counseling, right? Or whatever it is. Yeah. But it's like, we're not even getting to that point because that's just not the conversation. We're more interested in CPM or not, how many births or not. And I think it's keeping a lot of women really closed off from like really amazing opportunities and connections with, with their midwife or their birth birth person. Does yeah. that make any sense? <laughs> no, it, it, it really does. It really does. In, in other words, you know, if, if somebody were to tell me, hey, I've done a hundred births, I'd be like, that's great. There's probably been a couple of things that have popped up in there, but I can only presume that, you know, um, in attending a thousand births, I'm sure you've seen some bad stuff. But even so, if you had seen, if you had managed 20 very, very, very difficult labor and delivery experiences, labor and birth experiences, I would take that experience over the thousand completely low risk births where you can be totally hands off and nothing bad ever happens. Like we're, we're mammals, like sometimes bad things happen. So getting the experience of just managing some of those difficult things and you being the one in the, in the decision-making chair, the captain's chair, I think that really is how we grow as, as birth attendants, as healthcare professionals. Like you need to actually be in the hot seat to make those decisions when the, when the time comes. And that's part of why, I mean, that's, that's the certification process for me. That's the apprenticeship. And, um, and it is scary for anybody out there who's training to be a midwife. Like this is not meant to discourage you or to challenge you or your calling. It's just meant to say, listen, if, if you really want the experience of being a birth attendant, this is my word. These are my words, not yours, Marin. If you really want the experience of making a person feel like they are, are seen and heard in birth, it requires a little bit of fire to the steel for you to temper yourself as a, as a healthcare professional, which is why people like me and you don't really balk at, at hemorrhage because we've seen it before. And now I can go in and say, I can confidently keep you and your baby alive if there was a hemorrhage. And if I can't do it, I know when to call the, the shots to get you to the hospital. Like that's really all that most women want is for you to be able to counsel them and for you to be able to manage the things that arise. Um, so it's empowering as birth keepers. It's empowering to get the training, the experience under an experienced preceptor to just have a little taste of what it means to be in the captaincy. That's really it. Because otherwise, you never know how you're going to respond whenever the emergency happens. It's just kind of something we do. If we're going to care for one another, we need to, we just need to do that stuff. Sure, for sure. I think it's up to each individual person, though, to figure out, you know, how to get that experience and where yeah. to get it and maybe how much they need, which is a whole other topic. Um, you know, I've not been to a thousand births like you. So how do we each decide right. what we need to feel confident and, you know, not to go on and on. But like when I was a student, the thought of being at a birth alone before I was ready was horrifying. Oh, so, my God. I can't imagine. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like that's that's where I was coming from. I just wasn't eager to take on that role until I felt really ready. So, you know, everybody has a different experience, but I guess, you know, final words, real final words for me at least is call yourself whatever you want, but there are pieces that usually go together and just be honest and really, really tell people where you're coming from and what you can offer. And I do think the right people are attracted, you know, to whatever it is. So right. Right. in the end, we can't, control everyone and what they call themselves and how they do it. But we can just encourage honesty. And again, women and families to really figure out what they want and ask good questions rather than assuming. 
Right. Yeah. And, and just to qualify what I said about the thousand births, nobody needs to attend a thousand births to get good. That's don't let the OBGYNs hold that over your head. That is not, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that, that there, that I would prefer to have somebody it at our birth, if we had another baby who had a variety of experience versus a volume of experience. I think quality is far more important to me than quantity. And then how a person communicates how they've, you know, acquired their experience. I just think that that's, that's a nice thing to be able to talk about. And if you're like, hey, I actually haven't ever had a hemorrhage, but gosh, I've seen a bun of the, bunch of them and I know what I would do. We all have our first, first hemorrhage. I think you're at low risk at hemorrhage. But if you did, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure we take care of you. And of course, the hospital is just a, a short drive down the street if we really needed it. You know, like yeah. that's how you kind of prepare everybody for this possible scenario. And then when it happens, you guys both have your expectations out there. Nobody feels like they were deceived. And, and then you get your experience. That's just how it works. And if you're near me or Marin, just call us and we'll help you. <laughs> yeah, we we might. We might for sure. <laughs> we might help you. I have one more thing I want to say, though. I think yeah. our needs can really change. So, you know, I think of you guys just having your second baby, having such a great experience. And, you know, who knows, right? For a third birth, you or Stephanie or probably Stephanie would be like, hey, uh, I don't even know that I need someone there this yeah. time. Like, right. I'm really fine if I don't have someone or um, let's have the same midwife back, but like, we'll just have her in the other room. Yeah. So I know for me with every birth, like that has changed and certainly you grow in confidence. And I think there are people that start to think about birth differently, even something like hemorrhage, you know, it's like, oh, I'm not worried about that. Like that's, you know, that's just like kind of not in my, in my fear, um, fear stuff. Yeah. So I'd prefer to have somebody that, you know, is going to kind of hold that with me. I don't really care if they have that experience. And maybe it's somebody that's really great at working on deeper stuff in pregnancy, like if that fear did come up for somebody. So there's so many ways to approach it. And again, I think it's just not knowing what to ask and not knowing the possibilities um, outside of what's on paper or mm. Google as far mm -hmm. as like who's who's there, who's in your area. So, right. right. All right. I'll stop now. Me too. That was really nice, Marin. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I feel good. It's about an evolving this. conversation. It really it is. is. Maybe this is part one for now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have more thoughts with a new moon cycle or something. And we'll want to dive in and be extra cuddly cozy or maybe the opposite next time. Who knows? We'll see. It's tricky. It's This is a tricky one. I'm sure everybody's going to have different feelings about it. But totally. if you're, if you're called to birth, then, then go to births and just be transparent with your experience level and then when you get more experienced you should also boast that i'm really experienced and i'm really really good at managing hemorrhage that's also okay yeah i gotta be careful about that though but anyways <laughs> <laughs> all of my patients hemorrhage i'm really good at it. <laughs> yeah right oh man okay well thanks for the great conversation yeah i'll talk to you next time